Riverside. Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. We're coming to you guys live on a Tuesday evening here, uh, January 31st. So we're getting inching our way closer to spring training. Uh, super excited to for our conversation tonight. We have another really special guest on. We have Garrett Acton, who is a current minor leaguer with the Oakland A's. Garrett, thanks for hopping on the podcast with yeah, us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me, Colin. Good to see you as always. And Trevor, it's nice to meet you, man. Yeah, it's our it's our pleasure. We're fired up to have you here. And the first question I got for you is actually something that you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. So obviously you played your college ball in Illinois. What's the difference between spring training in Arizona compared to getting ready for a college season in Illinois? Well, we actually get to see the outdoors here. Uh, That's that's the biggest (laughs) difference. Uh, College ball in Illinois, it's like basically get through fall ball, get to October, get about a month off. And as soon as you start practice again, you're going straight indoors. So we'd go right into the football state or football indoor. We'd be running like full live scrimmages in there. Cause it was, thank God it was big enough where we could actually do that. So we'd have like outfielders in the corners playing at like basically 200, 200 feet. And then we'd have a center fielder actually playing at like 285, 300, kind of like you normally would. But we'd be just running full scrimmages, and then it's like, okay, it's time to head down to Wake Forest. We're going to open up there. Hopefully it's warmer than it is at home. And uh, it was slightly warmer. At least we were able to get outside. But normally we'd like we, – we'd get there, play our weekend, come back, and it's back to the indoors until the next weekend and rinse and repeat for the first, like, month, month and a half, just, like, hoping that there wasn't a foot of snow on the field. <laughs> but That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and- – it's so interesting because I'm a, I'm a huge, which Dan, our other uh, host, who's not with us tonight, but we're huge college football fans and I'm a Penn state football fan. And so I'm a big, big 10 guy yeah. in general. So big 10 baseball always intrigues me. How cold is it when you get into conference play and what, like yeah. how different is it just the baseball? Oh there? God, early on, it's pretty miserable. Like, like I said, it's cold. We're just hoping that there's not snow on the ground. We're playing some games where we're just bringing out these massive heaters, throwing them in the dugout. It's like 35, 40, and at night we're getting some horrible wind chills because we're always playing the Friday-Saturday night game. And it's just so bitterly cold that all the bullpen guys, we our locker room was right next to the bullpen. So we'd basically just head down, hang out if you knew you were like a late-inning guy, and I was always closing when I was at Illinois, so I'd kind of like bounce in, in between from going into the locker room, coming back to the dugout, going into the pen, just keep doing that, hopefully staying warm enough, and then it's like, okay, time to get going. Let's see if I can get the blood moving just a little bit because it was hard to get it moving at all. And then as soon as we could, like take me an inning, inning and a half to warm up, go in, play our cold game, and just sprint inside because it's like we don't want to be out here at all. But So it's a nice change to actually be in some good weather in Arizona. Um, be able to get outside earlier. That's the biggest thing is just being able to like get out, get my work in. It's nice to see ball flights when I'm playing catch and doing long toss. And I feel like that's like the biggest thing is especially in in the age of like spin efficiency and guys trying to throw riding fastballs, which is what like Colin and myself do. Like being able to get the ball flight right. If I can do that in long toss, I can transfer it to the mound. And it's really easy to lose sight of that when you're just throwing into like a seven by seven net for the whole offseason. So 
I feel like we were the same way, like growing up, yeah. like Trev and I northeast, like you're even farther north. Yeah. Like all those days, like putting up the net in the garage, like it's still like twenty degrees. Like how am I gonna get loose here? How am I gonna throw? Like, like this is incredible. Like I'm in the cold, like I'm not even outside. Like my first time when I go to spring that's my first time outside usually. And yeah. it's like it's a big adjustment period, I feel like, to go from throwing indoors to thin air out in Arizona and then you know, with you being in AAA and Texas League Two, the ball carries a little bit, as we know. So yeah. it's always always tough to try to get over that. Mm-hmm. But Northeast, we're we're different, I think. Yeah, you gotta work a little. Harder. Yeah, that's what I keep hearing is all you Northeasterners are different. You say Walkinshaw says it, Kumar says it. Mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody yep. that I know that I play with in the org from the Northeast, everybody. It all comes back to the Northeast is just grittier. They're just different. Yeah. But, <laughs> Yeah, man. But it, it is, it, I mean, like you said, like, it's such a big deal to be able to get outside and be able to actually, like, compete and get used to it. And it's funny because all the guys who are from down here just, like, kind of take it for granted. Like, oh, like, you guys can't get outside? Like, it's under 50? Oh, that's horrible. Like, no, if it gets yeah. over 35, it's awesome. Like, this is fantastic. That's why at the gym, like, if it's, like, 45, we're like, oh, we're going outside. Like, yeah. this is a nice day. Like, it's I actually – feels okay and then yeah. i feel like you guys down you guys down south like oh it's 40 I ain't going outside Damn yeah no they're all going outside like the first day i got here it was like 50 out and i'm like oh i'm gonna go just walk around i'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt and mm-hmm. everybody's wearing like their winter hats and like full coats i'm like what is going on here it's not that cold people and i know that relatively it's cold for them and they're not used to that but it's just like it's different, but it, the, the best part is the players down here are always just, like, talking about when they can get on the dirt. Like, they all are like, oh, it's so much easier to throw on dirt. Like, I throw harder on dirt, and I've been just throwing on turf mounds and, like, rubber mounds my entire life. So, like, I'll have the same mound velos inside as I will on the grass, and everybody's, like, they, they don't understand it. They're like, oh, how are you blocking the same? How are you moving the same? I'm like, well, I've been doing it my entire life. Like, it's just the same game. <laughs> finally with some, some weather <laughs> but that's that's great that that leads me to one more question about about cold weather college baseball what was the velo jump when the weather got nice compared to the 35 degrees what were you sitting early in the season and then when the weather finally broke through what how, what was the difference there? yeah i mean it, it really depended on how miserable the weather was like we yeah. especially when i was in junior college which i went to junior college in champaign right by the university of illinois at parkland college and we played a game that I remember it was 20 degrees out. It was snowing when I got onto the mound. And, and I was like 90 to 93. We had the stadium going on at Illinois. And I was like, oh, this is crazy. I'm stunned that I'm throwing this hard. But normally I didn't have much of a velo jump. Like I kind of just got used okay. to it. I'd be at the time like anywhere from 90 to 94, 90, 93 in cold weather. And in warm weather, I'd be just about the same, like 91, 93. So didn't see too much of a change. Okay. That's but I, you just kind of get used to it, right? Like guys who play in really yeah. hot weather who grew up in Arizona or Las Vegas or these like really, really hot climates, they hate the cold. They can't perform in it, but they're so used to throwing in the heat and you get us Northerners and it's like 110 on and you're just like trying to get through conditioning without melting. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. In in a lesser extent, when I, the joke, the running joke by the end of my mm-hmm. college career and I played D3 ball, so is that, mm-hmm. but 
the running joke was that I couldn't hit under 55 degrees. For some reason, my body just doesn't function under 55 degrees. It doesn't, my hips don't work as well. Everything doesn't work. But the second the weather broke, I would just hit like a heater on the back end of the season. So I figured, I guess because you grew up in that cold weather, that that kind of makes a huge difference, which I did too. I grew up, it's not like I grew up in, you know, in Florida, but for some reason, my body, I'm just not, I'm not a cold weather person. So I always used to see like, get out of bed and feel better when that, when that would happen. Yeah. So that definitely intrigues Yeah. Me. And I think part of it too, is just like, especially my role played a huge like influence on it and was a big factor. Cause I was just, I was always a one inning reliever in college. So, I mean, really I'm just trying to stay warm and prep myself and get warm for one inning. As soon as I can do that, like I can go hang out, get by a heater somewhere, go inside, whatever normally just stay out i'd be standing right next to the heater huddled i'd have my jacket in the in the in the dugout and hanging out but um yeah i think like the guys who were the starters or the position players who were just kind of like having to wear it just go in and out in this freezing cold weather and having to go hit like that's a much harder much harder ask than like hey kid you've got basically an entire game to warm up for one inning like if I wanted to, I could spend from the fifth inning to the ninth just kind of running laps in the bullpen just to get like a little bit of a sweat broken. So that helped quite a bit. So, cool. yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, speaking of your your kind of journey from from college ball, obviously you you went to Illinois. You started at junior college, like you said. Kind of walk us through what that process was from junior college and. I, I believe you had a stopover before Illinois and then obviously getting into professional baseball. What, what was that journey like? Yeah, so I started off at St. Louis University um, in St. Louis. Uh, at the time, I mean, they were a really like up-and-coming mid-major program. They'd had a ton of success. Um, at the time when I committed there, they were the only team that had offered me, only school that had offered me a scholarship. So I really liked it. I thought that it was going to be like the perfect fit for me. I had family in St. Louis that lived about like 15 minutes from campus and went down there and I loved the school, but the baseball, I struggled. I was kind of dealing with some injury stuff. Wasn't exactly the, the player development environment that I thought that I needed to, to kind of flourish. Got done with my first year there, just like struggling. I think I pitched to like a six, two ERA. Um, it was a pretty big adjustment for me going from high school to college. Like I'd never really struggled all that much. And I think that, you know, Colin and, and you would both agree like a lot of the guys who wind up in college like playing at the college level probably haven't struggled before um so while it was it sucked to be going through it I think I learned a ton from it and I was lucky that I had a ton of opportunities I got to throw quite a bit even though I wasn't throwing well um so I really kind of learned a ton about myself and what like why I was playing why I wanted to play and um Fast forward into the summer, go out and play in the NECBL. I was in Plymouth, Massachusetts, had a pretty good summer. And then my roommate from St. Louis was already decided he's going to junior college, was going to go to Parkland College in Champaign. And uh, his travel coach had a really good connection with our head coach there. And my best friend from high school, who had also played travel ball with this kid, was already there. So they're like, oh, come on, look at Parkland, look at these other places. So I look at two other spots, and then I go visit Parkland. They're like, hey, man, we don't have any scholarships open right now. Like, just how it is, we can get you the in-district rate. But, like, we don't have scholarships open. We have a ton of really good arms. Like, it's going to be competitive. I don't even know how much you're going to throw here. And this is from our pitching coach at the time, John Goble, who's now the – he was the high-A pitching coach with the Rangers last year in Hickory. And 
I'm like, ah, screw it. Like, they have such a structured player development system. Like, this is going to be great. This is going to be the fit I need. If I play a ton, fantastic. I think I'll earn my way into a role. If I don't, at least, you know, I'll, I'll say, you know, I, I gave it a shot. I found another place that I tried to play at instead of just giving it up after my freshman year. Things went really well. I couldn't be more grateful to Coach Garcia and Coach Goble from Parkland. Um, you know, they really put me back on, like, a path where I was loving the game. I was having so much fun. We had a good team. Um, and then in the fall, you know, I'm starting to talk to schools again. And just like, yeah, I, I need to find a place where they're at. Like, I think I'm going to develop as a player. I was a really good student. I cared a ton about my school. So I'm like, I need to find a place where I'm going to play. It's going to be competitive baseball, and it's going to be a really good school. And Illinois came knocking, and originally I wanted nothing to do with Illinois. I was like, we, we had a list, a sheet that we were given. It's like, put the top 10 schools. I didn't even put Illinois on the list. And Parkland hadn't had a dude go to Illinois in like 15 years at the time, even though it's literally five miles away. And I was just so salty. I had a chip on my shoulder because Illinois didn't recruit me in high school. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to go there. And then the assistant at the time, Adam Christ, who's still there, calls me. And he's like, hey, man, like, we're interested. want to get you over one morning. Like, you're right down the road. Any day that works for you, just let us know. Like, come on over. We'll show you around. Awesome. Sounds good. Uh, I end up going over there. I meet with Drew Dickinson, who's now in Virginia, but was the pitching coach there at the time. And uh, he takes me around school. I get to talk to all the academic people. I get to talk to Drew and Adam and Coach Hartlib. And they offered me a, a minimum scholarship at the time. And, you know, I just left the place and I was amazed. I was like, this is such like a good group of people. The coaching staff, they were phenomenal. I was really grateful that they were willing to take a chance on me and offer me a scholarship, especially coming off of the rough first year I had at St. Louis. And I hadn't had the junior college season yet, so I hadn't proven anything to anybody. So I was just super grateful for the opportunity. I'm like, you know what? It's close enough to home. It's a great school. Like, I really need to consider this. Fast forward a week or two, Coach Christ calls me and he's like, hey man, like you're our priority right now. We, we need a starter and a reliever. You're the reliever we want from the junior college ranks. But he's like, we've got this offer out there to you. You're the only one right now, but we're going to have to start talking to some other guys here soon. I'm like, okay, I understand. I hang up the phone and I immediately called my mom. I'm like, Ma, you have to get down here. Like, figure it out we need i need you to see this campus like need you to meet the coaches you need to see it mm -hmm. and she comes down she felt the exact same as i did love the staff love the place and uh and at the end of the visit i'm just like hey coach harlow like i couldn't be more appreciative like i i want to come here i'm coming to illinois so you know that was kind of that and then fast forward next year had the spring season Things went pretty well at Illinois, had some success, and then transitioned into pro ball, which was another jump of its own. So, But, yeah, it was, it was an interesting journey. went a bunch of different ways that I don't think I expected or anybody else expected for it to go. Um, I didn't think coming out of high school I'd wind up at three different schools. And, you know, I couldn't be more appreciative to the people of Parkland and at Illinois for giving me a chance and an opportunity because I'm not here without any of them. And... They invested so much time and effort into me as, as a person and as a player that, you know, I really couldn't be more appreciative for all that they've done for me. So, awesome. Yeah. Heck of a journey. I mean, yeah. geez, from Juco to 
triple a in less than you know four or five years i mean it's incredible but i think it's really like impressive like the mindset that like you have like it's like you're going through these tough times and it's sometimes it's tough like you're your best player in high school Mm -hmm. like a lot of guys are the best players in high school best player their college they get into pro ball or go from high school to college and they're like oh gosh like i'm not that good yeah these guys are good to me if not if not better so it's incredible that you have that mindset of I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep getting better. And now you're knocking on the door of the big leagues. Like yeah. it's, it's an incredible story. And I mean, I've seen you throw, I remember you threw your first bullpen when you got the Lansing and I'm asking you right away, like, how do you throw that? I'm like, this kid's got good stuff. Yeah. I need to learn all this all, you know, stuff's good. Like who is, where did this kid come from? Yeah. Like I didn't even know that you were at Illinois and we, we played yeah. you at wake and we are roommates in Midland. And now we're pretty good buddies yeah. and, Let's keep going along. I think it's a really impressive story. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. And, like, same thing goes for you. Like, <laughs> you got in. I remember I showed up to spring training at 21, and you just come off of the instructs in 20, and everybody's talking about, like, oh, my God, Colin was, like, 95 to 98. Every outing, they're like, he's throwing death. I'm like, loose. I'm like, I know that name. I'm like, I played this dude at Wake Forest. Like, we went there when I was a junior, and he threw against us. He killed us. Absolutely dominated us. I'm like, this dude's like, I got to get to know this guy. And then we got to talk for a little while in the spring and then finally got to Lansing and got to hang out. And obviously here we are. So, but yeah, I mean, it's like, like you said, and, and you've experienced it too. Like you've been through it, like every level, like college, high school, college, every level of pro ball is its own different jump. And it's all about kind of trying to find out like what improvements do you need to make? Like, how do I, how do I find my way? to the next level like what what do i need to do to adjust right now what do i need to adjust in the future so that i can keep climbing through the ladder and that stick and that's really the hardest part is everybody talks about like being able to stick up like it sounds really really hard getting to the big leagues and it is really hard to getting to the big leagues but that's like the easiest part of the battle staying there is what like people people take for granted how great those guys are like being able to get there and stay there is so tough and being able to now train with and be around a bunch of guys who have been up there and have had success up there, like, you get to see, like, just a little insight into, like, why they're really good and, like, what it really takes to, like, stick as a big leaguer because that's it, that's its own battle. So, love that. That's, that's yeah. awesome. And and when you were talking about your journey, one, one of the things you mentioned multiple times was the player development <laughs> that was going to, you know, allow you to be – your best version of yourself. So dive in a little bit on, on what you don't have to mm-hmm. bad mouth anybody. Yeah. That, that's what I'm here for. I like bad mouth and uh, player development yeah. programs and stuff like that. But um, you know, just kind of go into what you felt like was going to put you in the best position to be successful. Yeah. Like making the transition from St. Louis to Parkland, like I'd lost a ton of velocity. I was down thrown into like, if I was touching 90 in an outing, like I'd had a really good day. And this was coming off of a senior year of high school where I was like 88 to 92 pretty routinely, which nowadays doesn't sound all that crazy. We see videos of high schoolers throwing mid-upper 90s like us pro guys are doing. But at the time, like, I think you guys can attest to it as well. Like, if you saw a dude in high school who was thrown in the low 90s, like, you were really throwing gas. And, you know, part of it was the injuries. (laughs) But part of it was the injuries. Part of it was just like – I, I wouldn't say I was necessarily given like the throwing freedom that I wanted. Like people were constantly trying to tinker with stuff. They were limiting like what I was allowed to do throwing, like throwing program wise, throwing intensity wise. And 
in high school, I was a big, like, long toss, weighted ball dude. And I just, like, I've always been in the mindset, you can't throw hard without training to throw hard. Like, you have to try to throw hard to throw hard. And there was a lot of, like, hey, we don't want you to do this. We don't want you to do that. And I, you know, got to talk to the guys at Parkland, and they were, like, all in on kind of the driveline style of training. And Coach Goble had kind of taken the, the driveline program and made it his own. It was super structured, which I needed. And it was like super, like, I, I would go into a week and I would know every single day of the week what I would have for that, exactly for throwing. I'd know my plyo, my plyo care throws, the exact numbers of throws, the exact numbers of catch play throws. Like, when we got the VLO programming, it was the same thing. It was super laid out. And at the time, I was just like lost. I was a head case. And I'm like, you know what? I need this structure. And that was huge for me. And then, then it becomes, how do you take, how do you become your own best coach? Like now I've been given these resources. I have this knowledge of like what I need to do throwing wise. And I think Colin, you can attest to this too. It's like just eventually it, it becomes, you have to take it upon yourself, be your own best coach to push yourself forward. And they really gave me the resources for that. And then Illinois was great because they gave me the freedom to do that. And I think there's a fine line between giving freedom and having structure Right, like you want you want guys to be able to flourish and have some freedom to do their own things and try things out and, and test out things that they're seeing, but it's really easy to let that go and just be like let people take it a million different directions and guys come back all kinds of screwed up because they're like oh I want to try this or this or this like yes kind of keep them on a bit of a like bit of a path but allow them within that path like a freedom to explore different things and like try different things throwing wise and training wise. And that was what Illinois and then the A's have been really good about is that they've given me that freedom where it's like, okay, I have like this background of knowledge throwing wise. I'm still constantly trying to learn new things and I'm given the freedom as a professional to kind of explore that and treat it with enough respect that, Hey man, like we trust that you know what you're doing. We're going to give you the room to work. Like, obviously these are the goals that we have for you, but like we want you to get there and be kind of your own coach and get there on your own. And we're going to help you out and we're going to provide you every resource you need. And when you have questions for us, we'll answer them. And we'll always be there kind of in your corner. But we'll kind of let you explore things and try stuff out, which, you know, I think is one of the best things for player development. So. Like, I love that, like the mind, like that, that set of like, of I'm my best coach. Like I know what works best for me. Like mm-hmm. Trevor talks about a lot of like, the body, yeah. like it's going to tell you what you need mm-hmm. like to be better. Oh, yeah. And I like I like that like you're pulling pieces from this coach, mm-hmm. that coach, this that player, like going online looking at stuff. Yeah. Now you got this whole routine set down, like you know what you need, yeah. you know what you need to do to be better. And I think I think that's really important as mm-hmm. a player to have that that knowledge of what I need to be the best I can be. Yeah. Because I mean it's it's tough at the end of the day, like, you know, you're I mean, you know, professional ball, like we're all friends here, and though deep down, it's like, hey, like we're gunning for the same spot. Yeah. Like it's a tough, like find ways to outwork these guys and get better. And I guess I had a question about. So you remember when you got the Lansing? You said your first month in in Stockton was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be too harsh, but I think you said it was terrible. Like it was horrible. It was like, gosh, what am I doing? Yeah. And then if I if I don't like same thing in like double A, you kind of went through that same month mm-hmm. of like, oh my gosh, like what's going on mm-hmm. and. I just want to see 
take me through like like what adjustments did you have to make at each level? Yeah. Like, now in Triple your first month in Triple A was incredible. I think you threw like twenty scoreless innings, and then you kind of struggled a little bit. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, it's gonna happen. Like at that level, like it's gonna happen to everybody. Mm-hmm. And I just want to like ask like what adjustments like you have to make like day to day, week to week to get through that before you know it. Now you're knocking on the big leagues. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Stockton, like you said, was a huge adjustment. That first month was so bad. Uh, I gave up 20 hits in, I think, 13 and a third innings. And I don't know if I gave up 20 hits combined over my last two years of college. Seriously. Like, I like I was – that was my thing. Is I, I didn't throw that hard. I didn't have that great of stuff. But for some reason, I a lot of luck was involved, definitely. A lot of catches at the wall. <laughs> but uh, – I had uh, and a lot of teammates picking me up and making good plays behind me, but, like, I, I didn't give up hits. I didn't necessarily strike a ton of dudes out. I walked too many guys in college, but I didn't give up hits. Get into pro ball, and now I'm starting to strike dudes out. Like, I was probably striking out, like, 12 or 13 per nine in that first month at Stockton. But, I mean, I was getting hit so hard every outing. And I was falling into the trap of, oh, now I'm in pro ball. My stuff isn't good enough. I need to pick around the strike zone. And in reality, my stuff was pretty good. It had ticked up a fair amount from college. I was throwing harder. I had a better breaking ball. And I was giving hitters so much credit. And hitting is so hard. Like, it's one thing that now, like, being able to talk to guys who've been in the big leagues, like, even most of those guys early in the count, they're just trying to throw the ball in the zone. They're not even like, hey, I got to pinpoint this spot off the the six box down and away to a right-handed hitter. It's like, no, I just got to get this first pitch in the zone. I got to get ahead and I have to press the count. And that first month in Stockton, I was just giving hitters <clears throat> so much credit. I was so terrified of falling behind in the count that I was falling, like I was started nitpicking and nitpicking around the zone. And I was so terrified of hard contact that I was nitpicking around. And it just turned into, oh, I'm now 2-0, 2-1 in every count. I'm throwing two breaking balls that are uncompetitive, and now I have to throw a fastball. And it's got to be in the strike zone because it's 2-0 count. Like, I have to find a way back into that sad bat. And then guys just start teeing off. And Smitty, uh, obviously, Colin and I had the same pitching coach in double-A. He was the pitching coach in hot and low-A ball at the time in stock and Chris Smith. And he's only a couple years removed from playing. And he pulled me aside. I remember right after I'd just given up four runs at Rancho Cucamonga, the Dodgers low A, and I'd gotten shelled. And this was kind of like the culmination of this whole month. He's like, dude, you are just like, he's like, you look terrified on the mound. He's like, you look terrified of contact. He's like, you looked like you don't even want to throw something in the zone. He's like, it looks like you were scared of getting hit. He's like, this next month, all we're going to try to do is throw fastballs. Like, throw fastballs in the zone, get ahead, because your fastball is really good. And then with doing that, I started to throw a little bit harder. I started to take advantage of counts. It's like, I'm pressing counts now. I'm like 0-2-1-2 on every guy after three pitches. Like, that first month in June now, I, I wasn't striking as many guys out, but I, I had like 13 innings scoreless and then gave up a home run on a executed fastball up to dead center on just a great piece of hitting. I'm like, if it's going to, like, if I'm just throwing fastballs, like, let's get the rest of my arsenal back in. Like, let's start implementing that. So I had that conversation with Smitty at the end of the month. It's like, okay, let's, like, try to do this now. So we're starting to manipulate how I'm using my stuff, still attacking the zone with fastball because it's my best pitch. Going other, like, 13 innings, 
I think I gave up one more run in my second to last outing and then ended up getting a Lansing. And it was just kind of the same as like, now how can I be the aggressor in at-bats? How can I just keep pressing the count where it's like, I'm always like foot on the gas. I have the advantage because there's nothing more uncomfortable for a hitter, at least in my mind, than when they're like just every at-bat, they know they're going up to the plate and they're like, this guy's going to like, he's going to attack the zone. He's going to be aggressive with his pitch selection and he's going to try to get me down in the count so that opens everything up for him. It's, I mean, I don't need to throw necessarily my best fastball. Oh, oh, the averages aren't very good against it. I think even in the big leagues, guys are hitting like around 100 against oh, oh fastballs as long as they're in the strike zone. So, you know, even kind of rising up through that first year was just like, how do I press the count with fastballs? get to Midland with you this past year. And first month I was up and down. I think I, I had some really good outings and then I'd have some really terrible outings, but I struggled to avoid the big outing when it was like, when it was going bad, it was going really bad. And then it was like, okay, now I've got this foundation of like attack the count after three pitches. I want to be Oh, two, one, two on a guy. Maybe how I'm getting there now has to change. Instead of just basically being like, I'm going to throw 75% fastballs, maybe now I need to wrinkle in like a OO, like, or 1 0 breaking ball, but like landed, landed in an account that normally I wouldn't have done it in the past. And just be, going back to being aggressive, I think I, in, in my bad outings, I'd start to wander from that. And in my good outings, it was just like back to being, being myself, pressing the account, getting ahead. And then it's just kind of like changing up how I do that. And then getting to Vegas was kind of the same thing, at least early on, was just like get ahead in the count, trust myself in the strike zone, throw my breaking ball in counts that I might not throw it always just to show that I will. And then when push comes to shove, like I'm going to try to beat guys with fastball. And, you know, I started having some trouble in Vegas when, you know, now the next step for me is pitch execution is my stuff's pretty good but now I need to like really start hitting my zones. Whereas in like a ball, I was just kind of dominating guys with stuff, overpowering dudes. <clears throat> Double A started to be more like, yeah, I need to execute pitches. Mistakes will get hit really hard. But triple A ball is like, I need to sick. I need to start sequencing better. I need to start executing everything I'm throwing. And then, you know, the next step, obviously in the big leagues is like mistakes are always punished. You know, hitters will, like, hitting still really hard. They'll miss pitches occasionally. But generally, mistakes get emphasized. They understand scouting reports. They understand what guys are going to try to do. And they're looking for stuff out of hand, which is one of the biggest adjustments I noticed in going from Midland to AAA ball was that, like, hitters basically started eliminating certain pitches. Whereas, like, they're, like, some most of these guys have, been in the big leagues at some point or going to be in the big leagues. They understand what they do really well, just like I understand on the mound what I do really well. So they're just going to like take pitches, even even if it'll get them behind in the count early, just because they know that they're not going to do any damage to it. But if you throw them something that they think they can get, they're going to go. Like it's just green light. They're going immediately. And, you know, obviously me, the next step for me is understanding that better understanding scouting reports better and being able to execute based on the report um, instead of just saying like, oh, this is my best pitch. I'm just going to throw it. It needs to be, hey, this is my best pitch. 
this is this guy's weak spot on this pitch. Like, I'm going to execute this pitch right here. I'm going to get it done. So I think that's kind of the next step going into this year is, you know, in terms of me improving as a player, improving at the AAA level, and then hopefully being able to make it up in the big league soon. So We'll say hopefully. Say when. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're you're pretty darn close there. Yeah. So uh, it's not. Hopefully, it's a matter of time before you before you kick that door in. But you know, you unpack so much there when you're talking about how to attack hitters and obviously the evolution of of your career on the whole. And one of the things that fascinates me, and I think you did a good job of explaining kind of how to attack hitters, <laughs> is what's the difference? Obviously, you mentioned at AAA, guys kind of have better pitch selection Mm -hmm. as you go to each level. Is it basically just the maturity of the hitters that improves? Is it a combination of maturity and skill? How has that transition of like, you notice have a noticeable change in hitters amongst each level? Cause it sounds like you've kind of hit troubles at every level and then you evolve and that helps you grow into what hopefully is a, you know, long tenure in the big. Yeah. I think, I mean, and Colin, you can speak to this too is, in a ball, there's a lot of talent. Like, there, it's it's definitely different than playing high school and college ball. Like, guys are toolsy, they're fast, they can hit the ball far. Like, but they don't really have an understanding. Most of them of what they're doing. Like, there's there's not a real like approach. And I would say even most of the guys who come out of college, even if they were really good college players, like a lot of them still don't have necessarily a professional approach to hitting. Like, they might be. Like, you get those rare cases where guys are just super advanced hitters. They'll fly through the system. and But I, I would say the majority of guys, those guys are still trying to learn, like, what they do really well. And what they're doing really well changes, too. Um, so an A-ball, like I said, toolsy, not much of an approach. And double A, you start to see some more, certainly more skill, more mat- much more maturity, though. And guys are finally getting a clue, like, hey, I do this pretty well. You know, maybe I hit this pitch really well or I hit this pitch really well. And they're starting to, like, figure it out. They're starting to learn those things. And then you have the increase in skill, and that's where you start seeing, like, oh, now I'm making mistakes as a pitcher. Those are starting to get hit pretty hard. And then going into triple-A ball, I mean, we were facing lineups where the seven, eight, nine hitters have big league service time. Those guys have been Mm -hmm. there. They've done it. Most of them have been in pro ball for years. You know, they might not have stuck in the big leagues for whatever reason, but they're they're constantly on the cusp. And even those guys, like even though they're not necessarily big leaguers, they still have like these advanced approaches. They understand what's going on in the town. They understand what they're looking for personally. And that's like you kind of take the skill from the double A level, right? Like these super talented guys who could eventually be in the big leagues and are all talented enough to be in the big leagues. Now you start giving them like a bit of an approach, like a real approach. They're understanding for years. They have this experience. They've seen so many thousands of pitches by this point. They, they have a clue what's going on, what, how they're going to attack each pitcher. <clears throat> they read scouting reports very well. They understand what guys are going to try to do to them based off of the scouting report of that pitcher. And then based off of their own report, they, they understand, like, their own scouting report against them. And I think that's a really powerful tool for hitters and pitchers is, like, understand what guys are going to try to do against you. And then you can kind of combat it. And at least, like, you're going you're gonna to know what to expect in an at-bat. And you saw, I saw a lot more of that um, 
especially at the triple A and double A levels than than A ball. I mean, Kyle, would you agree, Connor? I would agree. Yeah. You kind of feel like you get like a high A ball, like you might have like maybe two, <clears throat> maybe three guys that have a solid approach, like they know what they're doing, like they know the situation, they know the report, like know what stuff I have, know what stuff you have, like they have an idea mm-hmm. of it. You get the double, it might be like maybe four, maybe five guys like have a good approach. Then you get the triple A and it's like, you know, one through nine is is ready to go. Like they're all on the cusp of being the big yeah. Like they're taking, they're not taking a single pitch off. Mm-hmm. Every single pitch matters. And I think a lot of people, you know, just something random, like baseball, like they think it's boring, like, but when we're on the mound, like every single pitch we throw, there's a reason behind it. Like we're not just throwing it just to throw it. Like they're, we're going in here to get them off of the slider away. Like we're going up to get them off of a changeup coming like down and in or something like something like that. But I like like the mindset. Like I feel like with Coach with Smitty, like they simplify things. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's hitter versus nine guys in the field. Yeah. And you ever sit there and like work in a test? Like you take batting practice, guys are just flipping balls in thirty miles an hour, and you're popping it yeah. up. You're like, what? What am I doing wrong? Like, you're just flipping balls in, and like, I feel like I get in that. Like, I like how you said, like, you get in that. Like, you're giving hitters too much credit. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, they're successful. Like, nowadays, you know, 250, 260 yeah. is a really you know, solid hitter nowadays with how, you know, pitching has exploded yeah. the past couple of years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, and I think, too, like, kind of like you said, and, and Smitty had told me a bunch of times when I was in Stockton with him, and then this past year in Midland. It's like every level you can like every level that you're at, you need to be able to dominate the the bottom end of the lineup. Like mm-hmm. you need to be like those are your free outs, you need to dominate those guys. And then in terms of like going to the next level, keeping progressing, it's like you take your top four or five hitters of a of a low A lineup, those dudes will be I mean, probably at the time your bottom four or five hitters of a high A lineup. Top four or five hitters of a high A lineup, bottom four or five hitters of a double A lineup, and, and so on and so forth, all the way up to the big leagues. And so it becomes like, okay, like you need to take your outs when you can get them in the bottom of the lineup. And that's the same thing, kind of some big leaguers that I've talked to that have kind of talked to me about as well. Is like you need to be able to dominate the bottom of the lineup, understand that the top of the lineup is going to be a challenge, and you just need to execute based off the scouting report. But hitting is really, really hard, like you said. Like, attacking the strike zone, trusting your stuff is really, like, at the end of the day, the most important part of being a successful pitcher. And I feel like, I think, Colin, you, you may or may not agree, but it feels like when you just don't throw a pitch with much conviction, for some reason it just has a way of getting hit. So you might as well go up there and be like, okay, I'm going to just throw my best stuff. I'm going to have conviction. I'm going to call the game how I want to call it. And I'm going to throw this pitch with everything I have behind it mentally and physically and i'm gonna try to execute to this spot and for some reason things just seem to work out where it's got like a little more oomph a little more effectiveness and you know whether that's real or not whether that's just us thinking it goes that way because we we remember those good outcomes is one thing or another but i think that's important you can't go out there and just throw a pitch like just to throw it like there's got to be meaning behind it you got to have an idea you got to Every single pitch, like, you know, they have games like Cushing come out of a game, like there's seven innings and he's mentally drained. Yeah. Like you're trying to talk to him, he's like stuttering because okay. he's like so washed out mm-hmm. because he just threw 100 pitches and all those pitches had a reason behind yeah. it. Like he's that, like his mind is still stuck mm-hmm. because like he's in that mindset. 
and it's incredible. Like, like I remember Smitty, like you're like he'll watch interviews of guys, and it's like they can't speak because their mindset was in that game so much that it meant that much. To mm-hmm. them. But I think it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. But I have That's another awesome. question. So yeah. we talked about like the hitters <laughs> and your strengths and stuff. Like when you go through scouting reports, are you more of a I'm going to pitch to my strengths, or is it a little bit of Hey, this guy can't hit down away. Like, am I going to try to go there, or am I going to stick with my? I don't know if you got, like guys listening. Like Garrett's got a you know fastball mid to upper nineties, you know twenty five hundred spin bowling balls. So I was like interested to see like what's your approach to hitters? Is it more your strengths, or is it their weaknesses, or a mix of both? Um, it definitely coming up and through Midland was almost entirely. Uh, I'm going to pitch to my strengths. I would pay a little bit of attention to, the, like, the middle of the lineup guys. Like, hey, this guy hits this pitch really hard. This dude hits this pitch really hard, so on. But for the most part, it was like, I'm going to pitch my strengths. When I'm warming up in the game and, and guys in the bullpen have the, the, the portfolio of the lineup, right? They've got the scouting report for me. It's basically just like, give me whether or not a guy's going to ambush me on the first pitch. So whether or not he's aggressive, whether or not he's going to take, whether I'm, I'm going to just be able to kind of groove a heater in there first pitch and like not really worry about where I'm executing it, or is he going to do some damage? Is he trying to get after me on the first pitch? And then whether or not he's a base runner. Like I want to know whether or not this guy, like let's say he gets on, I walk him, he gets a hit, whatever. If he gets on, do I have to worry about this dude going to the next base because I'm not paying attention to what's going on to him as a base runner, whether he's an actual threat because if he is, then I need to be aware of that. I need to mix in pickoffs. I need to, you know, make sure my times of the plate are quick so I can give my catchers a chance. But really, it was mostly just pitching to my strengths. And then getting to Vegas, <clears throat> and especially when things were struggling, that was when I started to try to, you know, develop a more advanced approach. Like, obviously, I'm going to pitch to my strengths. I'm going to do what I do really well. But I'm going to pitch my strengths understanding what the hitter's weaknesses are. And ideally, I'm finding what his weakness is and where my strength is. And then it's like, okay, this guy, my best pitch is my fastball. I can execute a fastball down in glove side. He's a right-handed hitter. He hits fastballs up and in really hard. But he doesn't hit fastballs away very well. So I'm going to just like pepper him with fastballs away. Or, you know, I really like my breaking ball, but I'm comfortable with it in certain counts. Is he going to do damage to this pitch in certain counts? Is he a breaking ball first hitter? Is he going to ambush an OO breaking ball if I throw him one? Or is he going to be a guy who's just like, ah, I don't hit breaking balls very well. Take as soon as he sees it out of hand. So I think it's, you know, trying to develop a more advanced approach where I'm understanding the scouting reports and I'm being able to pitch to those scouting reports, but use my strengths to pitch to that report instead of just like, I feel like you'll get guys who will just blindly pitch to the report at times where it's like, I don't do this very well, but this guy doesn't do this at all. So I'm just going to try to pitch to that. And they're going into battle with their second, third, fourth best pitches instead of being like, you know what? I do this fantastic. I execute this pitch really well. This guy doesn't hit it well, or this guy might hit this pitch well, but only in certain locations. I'm going to go somewhere else with it. So. Yeah, that that's so interesting to me because from, from the coaching side of things, it's always – you know, there's the the new age and old, you know, old school kind of 
thought where, you know, I mean, I would even say like probably when all three of us were growing up, it was kind of like you do a X thing to X mm-hmm. hitter and it doesn't matter if, you know, like in high school, my changeup sucked, yeah. and, but we still threw changeups to lefties and it was like, you know, whatever, why am I throwing this? It's getting mm-hmm. clubbed or I'm spiking it. And, you know, what's the balance? Like, obviously when you have, you know, above average to elite stuff and you can attack hitters at the higher levels of the minors, you know, with that elite stuff. And then you, you mentioned balancing the reports there. Did it take just a couple lumps there in Vegas with the balloon balls that you're playing with there? And is that what it takes to occasionally just tinker with that? Like, how's that process of working through that? And obviously how does that relationship come with your pitching coach as well in that communication of you taking ownership of your career and being like, Hey, I need to do it this way. And understanding that he has experiences Mm -hmm. and a kind of a detached view from, from what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, Part of it was taking some lumps up in Vegas. Another big part of it was, I mean, I had so many teammates, like I said, who had had former big league service, who had been big leaguers, been really successful big leaguers. And for whatever reason, they found themselves back in AAA ball trying to get their way back. But they had this wealth of knowledge. And I'm very lucky that they took me kind of under their wing as this 24-year-old idiot just trying to learn, right? Like, I'm barely seasoned into pro ball. And... Like, even though I've spent some time in AAA ball, like, I have teammates who have been there for years, who have been, you know, maybe trying on, on the cusp of the big leagues for five, six, seven years. Some of them have been big leaguers for five, six, seven years and are now back in AAA and trying to use those guys as a resource. And they were just like, hey, man, like, obviously you're going to pitch to your strengths, but let's pitch to your strengths within, like, understanding the scouting report instead of just blindly, you know, just going after it. And, I think it's also fair to say that there's times like I, I'd talk to Smitty, our double-A pitching coach, and he'd be like, you know, sometimes it just has to be my best, your best. I'm going to trust my stuff. I'm going to go beat this guy, right? Like there, there's times where you've just got to be like, you know what, maybe I'm not not executing this pitch very well. Maybe I'm going out here with just one pitch today. And hopefully that's my fastball or my breaking ball or whatever, and I, I know that going into the outing. And – it's just got to be, hey, man, like this is what I've got. This is my best. You're going to see it no matter what, even if this is your best, and I'm going to go beat you. But, you know, ideally, in a, in a perfect world, it's understanding the report, <clears throat> understanding where their weaknesses are, overlaid with kind of where my strengths are and trying to attack those. And like I said, you know, the my best, your best, when sometimes when you have to, there's nothing more fun than being like, watching Colin in the 3-2 count of the big inning. And, you know, it's like guy on first base, he's been grinding all day. And it's like, okay, he's going to throw a fastball because it's his best pitch. Hitter knows he's going to throw a fastball. We know he's going to throw a fastball. And he just blows the guy's doors off. He was with like 95, 96, up, up, fastball up. It's like, yeah, that's awesome. And that's, that's like, I think in part what we all live for as players is like the big moments where it's like everybody knows what's what, what both parties are going to try to do. And it's just like, okay, man, let's go. Let's, let's go to war. And that's really fun as a player. So I always love that. Like, like, I feel like you and I are like the same, like heavy fastball guys, like decent ride to Mm -hmm. it. Like, and you know, most of the time, like the hitters, like we get Oh, two, one, two, like, you know, what's coming. I know what's coming. Like coach knows what's coming. And you know, but I feel like most of the time, like when you beat Mm -hmm. him, it's like, dude, I just beat you with a pitch that you knew was coming. And like, you're like, still getting beat with it. And I think, that's like still like 
weird like to say like oh like oh they know what's coming but it's what's behind mm-hmm. the pitch like you can't just throw a pitch without no intent no conviction like you need to be aggressive with it like here it comes here's my best pitch good yeah. luck and whatever happens if it gets smacked over the wall so what like you still at the back of your mind like hey i put everything i had into that pitch whether executed or not i still had the right mindset with it like hey he, he ran in the one like give credit where it's yeah. due so yeah absolutely man but, okay. absolutely I gotta ask you, Garrett. Collins mentioned your your kind of repertoire mm-hmm. a little bit a couple times here. What what are your strengths? Yeah. Obviously, we've been talking for probably twenty thirty minutes about mm-hmm. pitching to your strengths. What are those? You know, just kind of blanket how yeah. do you approach hitters and and even more of the analytics of what your stuff mm-hmm. does and and kind of why you go about yeah, it. Yeah. So I mean, it, everything for me starts off my fastball. Like I'm. I guess kind of fortunate, but I, I've worked really hard to be a guy who is a mid upper nineties arm. I've always spun the ball really well. I've always been a 24, 25, 2600 spin rate guy with pretty elite vertical movement. And when I'm at my best, not, yeah, not like, that. Oh, man. When, when I'm at my best, like I'm throwing heaters that are getting like 20, 21, 22 inches of vertical break on the track, man. And yes. That's like the basis of my arsenal is I'm going to throw this pitch more than I'm going to throw anything else. And I command it pretty well. So it's like, okay, I have this elite ride fastball when I'm at my, when I'm operating at my best. Breaking ball has been like the biggest thing that I've needed to improve um, coming from college into the pro ranks. And that's still climbing through the levels. And, and that's been the thing that every year, like I'm going into the off season, how do I get my breaking ball better? And last year it was a slider for the most part. It was like 83 to 86. Sometimes I'd get it up to 87 and out of the zone, specifically like over the plate below the zone, I got a ridiculous amount of swing and swing and miss on it, um, which was huge because I try to like my whole game plan was how I can set up my basically like, how do I use my slider to set up my fastball and then occasionally flip the script? Whereas most guys are like, how do I use my fastball to set up my breaking stuff? So, you know, let's say I execute a fastball down, especially if it's like going now and like a one strike count, I've gotten to two strikes. I've executed that pitch. Now I can throw something below the plate and where I would get into trouble, especially when I got into Las Vegas was the breaking ball kind of would pop out of hand. So, you know, understanding where I need to throw it in the zone for it to be most effective and then either in the zone or out of the zone and then how I can use the rest of my arsenal to set that up was something that, you know, I think I needed to learn when I first got there instead of just trying to like purely overpower dudes. It's like now we're understanding the kind of the craftsmanship and, and the gamesmanship of like pitch tunneling and, and, and sequencing <laughs> and understanding that was kind of a big big help kind of at the end of the year coming out of the rough stretch I had in August in Las Vegas. And then kind of my third pitch, which for a lot of last year, I would say was my second best offering was my change up, which is just kind of 14, 15, 16 inches of arm side run, a little bit of vertical break, but I can get the tilt on it. So we think about like pitching, we think about tilts like, like a clock. So 12 o'clock would be, you know, an elite ride fastball. Like I'm trying to get this, this change up to spin towards like three o'clock where it's spinning almost sideways. And I'm trying to get the tilt down 
and something that I'm still working on. But the biggest thing for me is just get, been getting comfortable with it, having a, getting feel for it. Because I didn't really throw changeups in college all that often. So it was kind of a new offering for me when I got into pro ball. And with, with the help of Chris Smith and, and Gil Patterson, our pitching coordinator, they helped me bring that pitch to where it needs to be. And it still has steps to go, but it's something that I've gained a ton of confidence with. And especially to lefties, if I've executed a fastball away and they've already seen like two or three fastballs, they're probably going to get a change up off of it because I know that I'll be able to throw it there. I'll be able to start it on the, the far edge of the plate away from them and just let it ride off because it has enough movement to the arm side. And it should tunnel well enough to be able to get a swing and miss or at least a, like a competitive take where now I can open up how I'm going to pitch for the rest of the at-bat. So. That's that's awesome, and, and you mentioned tunneling a couple of times, and you know one of the biggest things for for our listeners that don't know you you were a reliever in college, so you've pretty much been a reliever for for the majority of your career, and you mentioned that you didn't really throw yeah. changeups in college. How was that process of developing developing that changeup to get it to three o'clock? What's the thought process, and how does it blend with your yeah. other two offerings, and and why you want to make them stay in that same window to make it hard for hitters to yeah. see? Yeah, uh, so. So the process was like I came into spring training in 2021 right before camp our, our pitching coordinator called me and is like hey man like he, he hadn't seen me throw before because I signed during COVID so it was a really unique mm-hmm. situation where I'm coming in to pro ball my first exposure is spring training whereas you know generally guys would sign they'd go report to the complex and they'd have two three months of the complex probably an instructional league session to be able to work with all these coaches and get to know them Coaches then get to know these guys like these arsenals and, and kind of what kind of player development path they want to put them on. We didn't have that. So Gil calls me and he's like, hey, man, like how hard do you throw? What's your arsenal look like right now? I'm telling him, ah, fastball, slider, curveball at the time. Don't really have a change up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a curveball, dude. And it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't no. a very good curveball, and they tended to blend. Like, <laughs> when, when I threw just a curveball, I threw just a slider, I could throw a pretty good one of either or. But when I threw both, I had, I had trouble where they'd start to basically blend into the same version, a mediocre or, or bad version of each other. Um, so he's like, oh, like, just start messing around with the changeup. <clears throat> if you show up to camp and it's not great, like, whatever, you've got three other offerings. If you find something, if you, like, catch lightning in a bottle, fantastic. And I showed up to camp, and it was still not very good. I didn't have much feel for it. And then Smitty and Gil, when I'm playing catch one day, are just like, hey, try out this this grip. And they basically put the ball in, like, basically just these two fingers. And they're mm-hmm. like, just like, I'm, I'm, I'm out there doing my long toss for the day, and I'm starting to come in, and they're like, just throw it, see what it does. And the ball just starts dying, like, I'm, I throw pretty hard. I'm used to being able to, like, get it to 120 with some oomph. And, like, I'm pulling down and throwing balls that aren't getting over, like, a five- or six-foot ceiling. And I'm throwing these change-ups that I can't get to, like, 100 feet. I'm like, oh, we might have something here. This is interesting. And uh, then it became, like, a, how do we tinker with the seam orientation to basically be able to pull off on a seam a little bit better? And at the time, we weren't using much data on it. We're just kind of looking at the pitch like, oh, is it, is it a speed differential from the fastball? And kind of break camp. And when I broke in Stockton, I wasn't using it very much the first month because I, I wasn't confident in it. I just started throwing the pitch again. And then when things started going pretty well, kind of had the conversation with Smitty like, hey, 
you're throwing this pitch, you're executing it now in sides, in side sessions really well. Let's see if we can start implementing this into the game arsenal. Like, we're not trying to throw it 20, 30% of the time right now, but let's say you have a long at bat against a dude, or you're just feeling it one day with it. Like, it's really good in the bullpen, you're feeling confident in it. Like, we can now start going to this pitch. And it became like probably a five to 10% usage pitch for me, kind of by the end of the year. And it was something that it was like, okay, guys have seen everything else. Like, let's throw, let's throw the changeup, get them off of it. And then last year, a bit more of the same, started to use it quite a bit more, um, especially against lefties. It became something that I was really confident in um, in Las Vegas and really relied pretty heavily upon to get guys off of my fastball. And now it's like I'm two and a half, three years into throwing it. I have significantly more feel for it. And that's, in my mind, the biggest thing with the changeup is obviously you want it to move well, but you need to have feel for it so you can execute the pitch. Because at the end of the day, nothing matters if you can't execute a pitch. Like, it doesn't matter how big of a break it is. It doesn't matter how hard you throw it. If you can't execute it, it doesn't matter. So now it's like, okay, I'm three years in. I feel really good with it. I'm confident in it. Now I can execute it how I want to. And that's like a, a really nice mental place to be knowing that I'm going into, into battle with an, an extra like an extra weapon in my arsenal that I'm really confident in. But it also opens up kind of how I can approach the game, how I can approach scouting reports, how I can approach hitters, and just, you know, keep attacking guys. So That's, that's great. I got one more question about your mm-hmm. repertoire and, and how you attack hitters. Um, obviously in Vegas, you know, I kind of mentioned it with the balloon mm-hmm. balls, and, and you mentioned you have an elite vertically moving mm-hmm. fastballs. And for our listeners, elite <laughs> vertically moving fastballs have a tendency to be miss in the air. Guys hit those in the air a little bit more often than than those sinker ballers that we see. And how was that adjustment of knowing that your fastball is your best pitch, but it might be prone a little bit? And correct me if I'm wrong, prone a little bit to the damage being done yeah. in the air and the hard hit balls being done in the air. How was that in Vegas, which is a league that uh, when balls yeah. are hit in the air, they they usually travel yeah. a couple extra feet. And, you know, how, how did you manage to work yeah, through that? Yeah, I mean – you know, Colin got to see it when when he came up at the end of the year. Is like the ball just flies. A lot of the stadiums, a lot of stadiums in that league are at elevation, so you you have some games where guys are hitting. Like I remember my first AAA game was in El Paso, and a dude hit a home run at 86 miles an hour down the left field line. <laughs> I was like, "What's going on? This isn't the way." Are we playing? I was like, "Are we playing on a little league field?" And, um, early on, like I didn't pay much attention to it though. Like it's, it's really easy though to get caught in that trap of like, Oh man, I'm a fly ball pitcher because I have a fastball that I'm going to try to throw up. I've got vertical movement. Guys are just going to put it in the air. They're going to start hitting pop up home runs. And honestly, that's not where I saw the most damage. And in talking to guys who've been in that league for a few years, that's not where I saw like, it's not where you tend to see the, the struggle with the PCL. A lot of it is like because you're at elevation, because the fly balls fly a little bit farther, the outfielders are playing really deep. Like we'd have games where we're playing guys on the warning track. So then it's you have the bloop single, the dink dunk singles, maybe walk a guy, and then somebody finally gets the home run. And then you're like, oh, my God, I've given yeah. up three runs, four runs in the blink of an eye because guys are hitting singles that normally would be in – to spots that other dudes are playing. But when, when you get lost in the mindset of like, oh my God, I can't pitch this way, you know, then you're just basically 
you might as well be taking a pitch off the arsenal because if you're afraid to throw it, then you're not going to throw it with any conviction. You're not going to throw it with any intent and you're not going to have any trust in it to execute it in the strike zone. You're just like, you're going out to battle without your best stuff, without any confidence. And that's really not a, a fun mental spot to be as a pitcher. I think Colin can attest to that as well. Like we've all been there when there's outings where we just don't feel good or we just aren't feeling like ourselves and we still need to be able to find a way to grit through it. And, uh, you know, like I said, if, if you go into an outing like, oh, my God, my fastball doesn't play because I'm in the PCL and the ball flies, all right, things aren't going to go very well. You're already putting yourself in a mental spot where you're not prepared to, to have success and to kind of go seize the moment and, and do your job. So, That's awesome. Yeah. I just had one more question. Like, with, like, I know, like, you're very intelligent with all the pitch design stuff. How useful has the TrackMan data played into your repertoire and stuff how how else yeah. like how has that been how has that made you a better pitcher? yeah yeah uh i think mostly understanding my data has been the biggest thing like you know you're not always going to have the prettiest most elite data and understanding that mm-hmm. or understanding how your pitches play or what the data looks like can basically set up your entire pitch plan so for me it was like okay now i have the data behind my fastball, my slider, my changeup, I know that I can use my fastball up, and I know that most of the time I'm going to have success with it. But if I wasn't as much of a vertical break guy, like we have guys who are in the 13, 14, 15 range, you know, or maybe my fastball just isn't moving very well that day. I, I come, into, come in between innings, hey, gee, your, your V break's way down. Okay, well, maybe I'm not going to try to pitch as much in the zone, up in the zone today. You know, maybe it's going to be a, I'm going to try to dominate down in the zone, knowing that I might not be able to beat guys up as much. But then I can, understanding that, use the rest of my arsenal differently. I can, like, try to set up off-speed stuff off the fastballs down, which I might not be doing as much if I know that my fastball is playing really well up that day. Um, so those kind of things have been huge. And then also in understanding, like, how my all my pitches need to play with each other. You don't want two pitches moving in the same direction at, like, the same velocities. That's bad. Never good. So it's like mm-hmm. you'll see guys who throw uh, a cutter and a slider. Well, sometimes they end up being the same pitch. So maybe it's like, okay, I throw just a cutter or just a slider, and I try to make a, one a really, really good pitch instead of just kind of throw two middling pitches. And then for me the biggest one, though, has been the changeup that's been like really where I've been trying to develop it with the track man is like, cause that's an easy one. I can just see where the tilts are going and try to get that tilt down. Um, so as I was kind of in the process of getting confidence with that pitch, developing it in side sessions two years ago and last year, now it's like, okay, I have a goal target of where I want it to be movement profile wise on the track man. And I can just keep working though. Like how do I get it there more consistently? So the movement profile is consistent and then now I've got the movement profile consistently. How do I go into a game and I execute that now? So now I can make that a usable pitch. And that's been huge. And, you know, having that track man data has been helpful in, the, in that regard, especially. So I love how you, like, you brought up, like, as, like, a starter, like, you know, 10 starts, like, three of them, you're like, oh, I feel mm-hmm. great. Three of them, you're like, uh, like, I'm <laughs> yeah. okay. And, like, you know, three of them, you're like, holy crap, like, how am I going to get yeah. through this? And, like, 
I love that, like that idea of like knowing what you have mm-hmm. that day, like understanding, like being your own coach, like how you talked about, like knowing like, Hey, I don't have my vertical fastball today. I need to work off something else. I need to change location on it mm-hmm. because you know, it's not there. Yeah. And so I think like, you know, as much as people try to like bash the data, like, Oh, like we don't need all this. Like it's too new school. Like old school is the best. Like that has helped like myself and you, like you're, you're, I mean, you're, on the brinks of the big leagues and it's helped you all the way up to this point and you know i just like that idea of knowing what type of pitcher you are what you have that day and how you can execute your pitches based off how you're yeah. feeling and i'm sure as a receiver you're gonna have days you're gonna play you're gonna throw back to back like the first day you might have like your really good slider next day like it's not mm-hmm. there so it's like you have to make these adjustments every single yeah. day and you know it's it's hard but you know like someone like you and you know i like to say like myself like we know, like, you just got to get through those days and understand, like, hey, it's not going to be there for days. How can I work around yeah. it? How can I still compete at a high enough mm-hmm. level with, you know, without two of my best pitches, without any mm-hmm. of my pitches? How am I going to get through? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like you said, it's like, you know, you're not always going to feel good. <laughs> it's not always going to be like, I've got my best stuff. Rarely happens where everything comes together so perfectly where it's like my body feels fantastic, my arm feels fantastic, I have my best stuff today, like, let's go. Normally it's like, I'm a bit achy, I just had a 10-hour travel day, or I threw yesterday, (laughs) like... (laughs) Or I just played Super Smash Bros for eight hours on the bus, now I gotta go We're we're driving driving Wichita playing Super Smash Bros for 10 (laughs) hours, my hands are sore... Like, I got to go pitch tomorrow. Um, no, but, like, at the end of the day, like, when when you have those outings, it's, it becomes a, okay, what do I have? Find what you got. Understand, like, ah, I might not have this other stuff. Maybe I find it in the middle of an outing, though. Right? Which, when that happens, it's awesome. It feels great when it's like, ah, I've I thrown something in the pen. It's just, it's gone. And I get out on the mound, and I'm like, oh, I got to try to throw this pitch in this count. I'm in a bit of a sticky situation here. And you're executing, you're like, okay, it's back. But you know, when those days when aren't when it's not going well, it's like, you know, how do you how do you just get through it? How do you work through it so you can protect the bullpen, turn it and just get your job done? And at the end of the day, like it's it's they talk about the Patriots way all the time, do your job. Like, how do I just do my job right now without my best stuff so I can turn it over to the next guy and he can do his job? And when you get pitching staffs that can do that and guys are constantly like getting through their innings, even if they're not pretty, like you get one, you get a ton of respect from your teammates, um, both the positional side of the ball and the pitching side of the ball. And, you know, you start really finding like kind of what you're made of is like, ah, like I don't have it today, but I'm able to like go compete my way through this. I'm able to just be, you know, a, a hard nosed competitor and grind through this tough day and find a way to get the job done, even though things aren't going, you know, exactly how you would have expected them to go. So, that's, that's awesome. And let, let's just be honest, call it what it is. The track man data is best. So now that when a coach tells you to work down and establish the ball at the knees, you can get at least have concrete evidence that your fastball doesn't play yeah. down there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, obviously I don't want to live down there. It's but like, yeah. the good thing is about being the vertical movement guys, like you'll get, and I, I've seen it with Colin millions of times over He'll just dot a fastball down in the zone early in a count yep. because that ball to those hitters, they'll, like, they'll come back to the dugout, some of them, and be like, that ball looked like it was going to hit the back of the plate. 
It's just like this yeah. dude wrote a, wrote a fastball, a 20 inches vertical break, mm-hmm. dotted his target, and then it just opens up everything. And yes. Whether you're going to go back there with another fastball, or you're going to throw a slider off of it, or like me and Colin probably going to throw a fastball up in the zone after. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, understanding that stuff and understanding how you can work it is like you'll get takes like the unexpected take being a vertical guy down yes. in the zone or like sinker guys. You'll see in the big leagues all the time watching games like dudes are throwing these power sinkers like I threw this one up in mm-hmm. the zone but a guy took it. Like they just saw it up there and they're like, yeah. oh my God, that thing got all the way back down here. Like this dude threw a zero yeah. vertical break sinker at the top of the zone, which normally they don't want to live and the data would tell you don't mm-hmm. want to live up there mm-hmm. most of the time, but you'll get the, the surprise take when and, and understanding that is is pretty helpful in terms of like being able to map out at bats, especially when you've had one of those pitches, is now like, oh, I've gotten that. Maybe I had a freebie. Maybe like this is just such an unexpected pitch form that I can keep, like use this as part of my arsenal. Like I can almost go to this as like the, the mm-hmm. oh my god, like he just pulled this out of his bag of tricks. Like he just did something that his stuff isn't really supposed to do. So mm-hmm. it's always fun when that happens. That's being able to watch guys do that. So yeah. And uh, like for people listening, like Garrett, like he's not cocky when he says like down away fastballs execute every yeah. time. Like not just it's not just for say like I've you know like you say like you get those takes where you're like holy crap like why are you taking that like it's you know middle third of the plate and it's you know looks like it's rising yeah. you get 22 inches of carry down the zone it's like oh where the hell did that come from and next thing you blow them up door upstairs up door and the balls almost riding over their head it's like oh my gosh yeah yeah and I and I think it's safe to say or it, it's important to note too that like. You know, the new school people hate talking about old school baseball. They hate talking about like, oh, it's just about pitch, pitch execution. And the old school hates talking about like, oh, it's all about data. And we're just trying to get the biggest movement profiles, mm-hmm. the most elite movement profiles we can yeah. get. And in reality, I think it's it's somewhere in the middle, right? Like the middle. You, you want really good stuff, right? Like you want pitches that move really, ha- have these elite movement profiles, have elite velocity, but at the end of the day, if you don't know how to sequence that very well or you don't know how to pitch to your own strengths or worst case scenario, you can't execute your stuff, like none of it matters. None of it, none of it matters at the end of the day if you can't execute your pitches. And it doesn't matter, you know, whether you're in low A ball or the big leagues. If, you, if you're not going to execute, you're not going to have success. And there's a reason that the guys get to the big leagues, they stick in the big leagues because they, they understand their stuff. They have these good movement profiles. Some of them don't even have good movement profiles on their stuff. You'd look at their track man data and be like, why is this guy up here? He's throwing 88 to 92. He doesn't get very much sink or ride on his pitch. He's basically throwing a dead zone fastball. He throws a soft breaking ball. And then you go look at where all of these pitches are, and it's like this guy is living on the edges of the strike zone. He puts the ball wherever he wants. And – you know, even if a guy beats him, he's still going to be able to like that next hitter is like, okay, that guy beat me. I executed a pitch exactly where I wanted it to be happens onto the next one. Go back to executing that exact same pitch there because they know that they can do it. And it's, you know, it's being in pro ball and being able to see both extremes, whether it's on social media or in player development circles mm-hmm. or, or guys that like Colin and I have crossed paths with like, you know, you need to be able to find the middle ground of like, how do I take this data? How do I utilize it? 
in a beneficial way to me while understanding what my stuff does and understanding at the end of the day, if I'm not able to execute even with this data, like none of it matters. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating because I'm, I I worked with hitters in college and, and I was a position guy mostly. And the, the new school versus old school conversation. When you said it, it falls somewhere in the middle. That's literally about the epitome of mm-hmm. what it is. It's like, hey, I've I've worked with hitters that need to think hard on top to to shortstop, and that's what allows them to pull the ball with backspin. And then I've I've worked with guys that can only hit a ball on the ground to the shortstop, and thinking pull side off the pole is what allows them to hit the ball with pull and and backspin and it, it's it's crazy to kind of have that balance and on the pitching side i've always imagined it as you know there's a sliding scale and it's when the better your stuff is the less of a priority your execution needs to be necessarily the the worse your stuff is the more of a priority execution needs to be and it's like well that's just both sides colliding and combining to be one train of thought which is kind of what coaching and player development is is just the balance of all the yeah. information that we have and it's 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 always so crazy because you mentioned the the high vertically moving fastball at the knees is that's the being in a dugout with guys they're like I thought that ball was at my shins and I'm like yeah well the catcher caught it yeah. at your knees and we need to adjust yeah. like we need to understand that like he could break that out at any moment and you can't get caught yeah. looking again because everybody here is like what are you doing yeah. like and and nobody has a uh, rationale in those situations when they're when they're watching as an outsider yeah. view. Um, one of the last things I wanted to ask you about, obviously you mentioned you got in a pro ball with the, you signed the, the year mm-hmm. of COVID, you know, kind of just walk everybody through what that process of, was like of having your draft year yeah. cut short. Um, I don't know if you had a red shirt year so that were you a senior sign in that yeah. scenario and just the reality of like, what you thought – I'm sure you were getting draft buzz and opportunities, but when you thought it was going to be your opportunity to to really put yourself on the map to have that happen, and then also as an extension of that, I know Colin, you know, it was – that year was so big mm-hmm. for him. What did you use during that time frame of 2020 yeah. to kind of help your stuff tick up when you got yeah. the um So the whole process was insane. Um, I made the decision after my junior year of college. I had a successful junior year, um, went through the draft process. I thought that, you know, I, I'd set a number that I wanted um, to, to sign out of school after my junior year. And I was like, if I don't get this, I'm not going. Hard line, that's what's going to happen. Because like I talked about earlier, like education's always been something that's really important to me and my family. I took it really seriously. I probably spent as much time in the study hall room as I did on, on the practice field, really. Like, I I loved school. I thrived there. I did really well. So I kind of set this number, going to my, go my senior year, understanding that, you know, you're not going to sign for very much money. Hopefully I can move my name up into, like, the day two conversation of the draft. So like, maybe I can turn myself into a guy who's, like, kind of one of the money saver you know, top 10 rounders, which you see a lot with seniors. Um, so the teams can kind of save up bonus pool money to use in other spots. And, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, I, I want to leave a legacy at Illinois as a player. I want to earn my way into day two. Like, that's what I want to do. And then <clears throat> season starts, things are going pretty well. I'm throwing really well, um, you know, having success. 
the team's playing well, and I'm finally I'm, – I'm a leader on a young team. We lost almost half of our roster as guys that were either seniors or drafted. So we're, we're dealing with an entirely different group. And it was really cool, and I took it upon myself and the other seniors that I was with took it upon themselves as well to, like, how do we make this situation, which on paper looks difficult to win, how do we turn ourselves into, like, a tournament team again? Because we came off a really successful year where we were two-seed in the Ole Miss Regional, and it ended in a way that we <laughs> we really didn't want it to go. We were two and out in, in, the, in the NCAA tournament after we went two and out in the Big Ten tournament. So it was it was a tough end of the season. And, you know, things are going well. We're getting ready to head to a trip to Carbondale. <clears throat> and it's a Thursday. We're about to leave. Our head coach is already down in Carbondale at, at John A. Logan Community College because his son, who now is a player at Illinois, was, was playing for the junior college, John A. Logan, in town. And, you know, everybody, like, early in the morning, all these schools start to, like, cancel their season. We're like, what is going on here? This is nuts. And it, it, it ends up turning into uh, it's going to be a matter of time for us. We don't know when it's going to be, but there's no way we're making it past this weekend. There's no way the college baseball season is making it past this weekend. Ultimately, in the middle of practice, it's like, hey, let's do pitchers BP. And we're like, what's going on here? Pitchers are never allowed to hit. So, so we get done with practice. Um Coaches, assistants who are there are like, hey, we're not going to Carbondale. Things aren't looking good. Big Ten's about to cancel the season. Like, we're not going to play. Coach will be back here tomorrow. We're having a meeting. We're going to figure it out. We have that meeting, and it's like now Friday at this point. And he's like, hey, listen, the university's basically like, you got to be off campus by Sunday. Like, I, he, he was of the opinion, and the school was of the opinion that, like, guys get it, people need to get off campus. He's like, unless you have to be here for some reason, like, I want you off campus by Sunday. So we go home, and I basically spent the next month and a half, two months, just, like, trying to prep for the draft, um, trying to be able to go outside to get work in, obviously, while trying to be responsible at the time, you know, trying to socially distance, try to do the right things, because, you know, it, it was a really scary time. Nobody knew what was really going on. Nobody really has lived through anything like that. We didn't, we didn't know the science behind what was happening. So everybody's just like in panic where lockdowns everywhere. So just trying to get my work in outside. I built this strike zone out of two by fours that I would drag out to my high school field and just like go by my own. I bring a bag of baseballs. I bring out this thing with two by fours and like, let's go to work. And, uh, kind of leading up to the draft, like get closer to the draft um, talking to some teams here and there. Um, most of the interest, interest was like, hey, you're going to be a senior sign. We don't know what the draft structure is going to look like because they really didn't decide that until a couple weeks before the draft. So I was hearing from mm-hmm. some people like, hey, we're going to have a 10-round draft. Some people are saying we're going to have a 20-round draft. Other people are saying we're going to have a 5-round draft. Nobody knows what's going on. And then ultimately they decided on the 5-round structure – we go through it. My name wasn't called in those top five rounds, which I, I didn't anticipate it being. Um, I hadn't done enough to probably earn that. And at the time, I wasn't like this big power pitcher. I threw like – I was a low 90s guy. Occasionally, I would touch 95. And I really had pretty bad off-speed stuff. I only had a curveball, which wasn't very good. Didn't throw change-ups. Still walked too many guys. 
And, you know, three days after the draft is when the free agent signing period opens. And the A's called me in the morning. And one of our scouts at the time, Derek Lee, is like, hey, man, we've got this for you. Like, let me know. And I called my agent at the time. And I'm like, hey, the A's just called. They've got this. Um, like, are there any other teams interested? Should I take it right now? What's, what's the deal? And uh, he calls me back about an hour later and is like, hey, man, like, this is what it's going to be. Like, the A's are the, the team that has you on their high priority list. He's like, if you're comfortable with it, take it. I'm like, awesome, let's go. Because for me, it was kind of like this, a similar situation coming out of junior college. They were like the one team that was really giving me, like, give, giving me a chance, giving me the opportunity to go earn a, earn a, earn a spot on, a, on an affiliate club, ideally, in that next year. Um, and were giving me the opportunity to go into pro ball, which had always been my dream. And then basically the rest of that year, like we kind of were coming out of lockouts. We were able to start getting into facilities more often. So I was working out at a place called the Bo Jackson Sports Dome up in Chicago, which, you know, thankfully I've, I've known the owners of for a really long time. Um, they're people who couldn't have, couldn't be more supportive of my career and, and the career of just like anybody trying to pursue baseball around Chicago. They offered just like, they have this incredible facility. They they offer incredible player development programs and, and the coaching staffs there and the people who run it really care about like how do we bring elite level player development, how do we bring elite level baseball out of the Midwest and to the rest of the country? And how do we like send these guys to all these places and show that we can play? Um, so I was really lucky that I was able to use that facility and you know, there's a huge group of pro dudes who go work out there, so I was just kind of working out with all those dudes during the rest of 2020 prepping for 2021 um at the time like track man units are really expensive rap sodos are really expensive so i wasn't able to just buy those and use them so i, I would go down every once in a while to my junior college to throw hop on the rap soto get some of my data and stuff was okay i was still kind of in the low 90s but you know it was it was very lucky that they were giving me that opportunity where it's like Hey man, we're going to help you develop. We're going to give you the access to the facility. Like come down, come work at the junior college, go to the Bo Jackson dome. Like we're going to offer you this space to like go train and get better. And I, I was really around a great group of dudes who, you know, some of them had been in pro ball for a couple of years and were able to offer some advice as to what I should be expecting going into my first year. And, uh, you know, obviously it wasn't the situation that anybody had anticipated going through. Like none of us, I don't think, expected to be locked into our homes for a while or none of us expected to you know have seasons canceled but it ended up being like a, a huge learning experience I think for a lot of us learning about ourselves and learning about like really what our priorities are and you know how we can overcome this kind of adversity in this non-ideal situation to pursue our goals and for me that was how can I overcome this you know overcome the situation in front of us and be the best player when I show up to spring training 2021 that I can be. And I was pretty pleased with where I came in, but now two years in, I realized that there's significantly more that I could have been prepared for. And, um, you know, still learning every year what I, what I can keep doing to be, you know, just that much better every camp. So. Quite yeah. the journey. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been interesting, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, I mean, you you went through kind of the same thing, right? Like, you went through your first half season, 
And then it's like, hey, man, you're in spring training. <laughs> no, you're not. Not anymore. Go home. Go home. Remember, yeah. we had a meeting outside. Like, all of us got together, and uh, Sprague was like, yep, you guys might go home. And then I was playing Fortnite with Cushing at, like, 7 yeah. o'clock, and Nancy called me, like, your flight's at 11. I'm like, well, I'm yeah. going home, and we're kind of just stuck in the yeah. But But it was, it was awesome to see much COVID. Like, you had so many guys like Colin who took such huge advantage of all this time to, like, be able to work on different things. And, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, you were in what, like, low to mid-90s guy prior to COVID? Yeah, I think I was, like, I think I was, like, one yeah. or two, touch a three and, or four once. And then, you know, Instructs 2020 happens. Or, yeah, Instructs 2020 and the legend of Colin Palouse is born. And, and he comes out. <laughs> and, I mean, he's, like, mid-upper 90s and just dominating hitters and you know we continue to see that now is like you you and a bunch of other guys use that as a huge like stepping stone to in your player development path to like use this extra time even though it's not ideal you're not playing games you're basically given a second offseason to like just go work on stuff and you and a bunch of other dudes took huge advantage of that and turned obviously you know made made the best of it so it was a tough time but you know, I feel like the same like same with you. Like, you know, that's something that's out of our control. Like, I feel like a big thing I talk about like is only control we can control. And at that point, you know, we can't control the fact that we're not playing baseball yeah. or not. You know, out of the field. Like, what can we do now to be ready for you know whenever it happens? I remember like Gil called me like sometime late August, September. I was like, hey, you probably just start shutting it down. And I was like, yeah, I just got I'm gonna throw a couple more, couple more bullpens, couple more lives, and then I went to yeah. instructs, but of time but you know for anybody listening you know keep yeah. working you know it's a process but yeah yeah going. absolutely that concept it's like it's always it's no no path is going to be linear it's not always going to be this easy like you know things aren't going to constantly go uphill there's going to be peaks and valleys and there's going to be hard times mm-hmm. and where things aren't going well and where you're trying to make certain changes and you're not seeing like positive results in the beginning it's like how can you stick to it and just keep pushing forward, push, pushing forward through when, when things aren't going well, when you're not feeling great to just like work towards that end goal. And if you can kind of keep that mindset and, you know, think like, how do I get through this day? Like if it's not going well, how do I, you know, narrow your, your, your field of view? And it's not like, okay, things aren't going well today. They're not going to go well in six months. It's just like, okay, things aren't going well today, but how do I get through today? And then take it to tomorrow. How do I get mm-hmm. through tomorrow? How do I get through like this workout or how do I get through this throwing session if it's not going well? And even if it's going well, just narrowing your field of view makes things a lot more seem a lot more achievable instead of just having this like massive like, oh my God, I want to be here in five, ten years, which I mean it's good to have those goals. But being able to shrink it down, make it something that like bite off pieces of it. Like, I got this to do tomorrow, I'm gonna get through it. And I think that COVID was a big opportunity for people to learn that and to be able to take action with that. So, but like, yeah, Trevor, like how was it going through COVID like in the coaching realm? Like, yeah, I mean, it was, it was weird. So I was still, so COVID year, the shutdown year, I was still playing. So I was using my grad year at Goldie Beacom where I started my coaching career and I'll be honest with you, most of the people that listen to this and most people close to me know I had made that decision to kind of leave the 
the playing career. Like I was yeah. done. Like I, I remember punching out one time, like in, in inner squads and just being like, I never yeah. want to do this again. And I was like, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready yeah. to hang them up. But so when it was shut down, it, it didn't exactly come as like a, you know, like a lot of guys mm-hmm. were crying. I was kind of just like, ah, well, this is just a little early exit. But so then I transitioned into the coaching and it was just, I mean, it was weird. I mean, there, we were, there were times to go out and recruit and it was like, people were trying to get back to normal in the college baseball world. And then obviously we went into 2021 and at Goldie Beacom, we had a conference mm-hmm. only season. And I mean, Goldie Beacom, you, you probably don't know much, but we basically had like a, a record setting mm-hmm. year. And, um, it it was impressive to see and everything like that. And, um, but you know, and that it was just weird and we were wearing masks and doing all these things like that. And it was just, it was a, it was a crazy year, um, going through all that stuff. So, um, it was, it was mind blowing, but everybody got through it and, and it was a, it was a blessing. But like you said, yeah, yeah. I mean, what did you, how about you, Kyle? Like you went through. Like what, what was your kind of process going through COVID? I mean, we got, I remember like I got home like, like around St. Mm-hmm. Patty's day or something. And uh, I remember we were back at the gym, like the group of us, like group of four or five of us, we were back at the gym Monday. We're like, we don't know. Like, let's just yeah. show up. Like, we don't know. Like, remember like when they first sent us home, it was like, Hey, you might call us back two weeks. Like we had a, like my buddy that was with the Royals at the time. He left all of his gear, all of his gloves, stuff. He's like, I got nothing. Like they were like, hey, be back in two weeks. Like at that time, none of us knew about you know COVID and how bad it was going to be. And we got back. We're like, hey, let's just get back yeah. to work. And it was fine for a couple of weeks. Like we were up by the gym, like still going. And then you know the mandate started having lockdown started happening, and we were kind of stuck for a little bit. So we would go every Thursday. We went to you know. Carabell High School has a high school uh, has the field that they allowed us access. So we went to a yeah. little league field every Thursday. We'd show up there and we'd have scrimmages. We'd have games. I mean, Zach Geloff was coming up <laughs> yeah. a lot. We were, we we were throwing like nine inning full game. We'd be there for like two, three, yeah. four hours like every Thursday, and it turned into like like every week. Like, hey, we're getting ready for Thursday. Like, I'm coming yeah. for you. Like, we're facing the same guys yeah. every week, but. I feel like, you know, it started out like with a big group and then towards, you know, like July, smaller, you know, August, smaller, September started kids yeah. dying out. But, you know, most of us, a lot of us like stayed because like we just didn't know. And we we're also, mm-hmm. you know, had a really good routine, a really good, you know, workload. And we just wanted yeah. to continue it as long as we could to just prep just in yeah. case because, you know, baseball, like you never know. Like, it's, I mean. We're on the road. They could call us. You know, they could call mm-hmm. us right now and say, "I need you at the complex yeah. tomorrow." And it's like, all right, like I'm, yeah. I'm ready. Like, like for me, like the biggest, like when you're pitching, like if I have a bad outing and I know I prepared as well as I did and as the best as I could, I'm not going to be as mm-hmm. mad as I have a crappy outing and I didn't prepare. That's the that's the mindset I have. Like every yeah. off season is the fear of not being prepared scares me more than just the fear yeah. of failure in a way. Oh, yeah. But hey, it was tough times, but you know, yeah. here we are now. Yeah, so, I understand, man. I mean, it was crazy. I remember Gil was calling me and was like, Hey man, we want you to try to get to 35 innings. <laughs> Whatever that means. Like, he's like, I don't know how you're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, he was like, try to get to 78 yeah. innings. I'm like, I'm trying. I'm throwing yeah. four, 
you know, four ups with like three dudes. Yeah. Like it's kind of a game. I yeah. Guess. Like I was, I was dragging out one of my buddies who had just finished his last year at Illinois Springfield. I'm like, Hey man, I need somebody to hit. Like, you gotta come out. I gotta get to this pitch count for the summer, and like we gotta figure it out. And so it's it, it was wild. I remember we we had some guys who at the time were one of the guys was with the A's, and he's just like throwing three four ups like you were doing. It's like he's got to get his work in. Like he needs to be ready to go in case because yeah, like, he was a guy who could potentially be you know, going to the alt site. I mean, it's our yeah. jobs. Like it's like every other day. Like everybody's getting up for work. Like I'm. Like our our job is getting up and you know off season going from the gym from nine to yeah. nine to twelve or I think you middle of the day like that's that's yeah. our work like you know people think like oh you're just practicing I'm like no I'm like I have yeah. a purpose every day I you know I'm writing down like my daily plan mm-hmm. my daily goals and I'm check marking make sure I'm hitting all this stuff each yeah. day like it's a full time <laughs> job like it's you know people just oh you're just playing baseball yeah. it's a kids game I'm like no it's 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 still, yeah. it's still a job. It's, yeah, it's, it's our life and cruise, and we put so much into it, too. It's like like the mental stress of it. I mean, it, it, we were going to the field at 1 o'clock for a 7 o'clock game to get all of yeah. our work in. Like, it's oh, all yeah, time. Absolutely. I mean, we're spending like six, seven, eight hours there a day and not even counting the, the travel hours that we have or mm-hmm. like – I mean, think about the, the time spent away from family is like, that's the, that's the one that I think that, you know, when I talk to people who don't do it, they like, when you describe the lifestyle to them, all of the, the consensus from what I seem to get is like, Oh, I, I don't know if I could spend that much time away from like family. Cause it is tough. And that was, that was definitely an adjustment was like in college, like you have all your friends there and you know, a lot of our friends now are all over the country. Right, like you're in Delaware, exactly. I'm in Chicago. Normally, yeah, it's like, hey, I can't just be like, hey, Kyle, let's go hang out. It's like, no, you're on the other side of the world, like the other side of the US. Yeah, what are you gonna do? And you know, when we leave, it's like friends from back home. Hey, man, gee, how's things going? Well, they're great. How are things back mm-hmm. home? And it's like, yeah, I want to see you, but you can't see me because you got to buy a flight to get out here, and I'm gonna be gone for another six, seven months. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I remember like like college, my parents dropped me off at college. I remember yeah. crying. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm on my own now. And I, mean, I feel like I've gotten a little more better with it. But my mom didn't come see me this year. It's like it's like it's tough like that. You're like, gosh, like I got family back at home, and I'm just out here on my own yeah. sometimes. And it can get to you sometimes, but you know, you got to work oh, yeah. through it. You know, on your own yeah. sometimes. Yeah, that absolutely. Is, and I think we're really fortunate too that we've been able to make friends in the organization but we also have just a, a lot of really good people around where it's like even when you're gone you're away from home like you're able to, yeah still like, feel like it still feels like you kind of got a family atmosphere and that's one of the things i'm i'm really thankful for for the organization is like the a's do a really good job of like making the guys involved in the organization feel like they're a part of a family like we feel like we're a part of something we feel mm-hmm. like we there's like a big culture that we we are all buying into but I mean, Trev, you as a going through the coaching side, was that tough to deal with? Like transitioning kids from going in high school now, like, oh, you're a college kid, like you're kind of on your own, you got to figure it out, be a bit of an adult. Yeah, I'll tell you. Um, Dan and I actually talk about this all the time, and you know, I mean, just through experiences of seeing kids and and working with kids, and you know, I always say the fall of your freshman year is the most life changing moment of six months of your life. It's not even just. 
the moment of being, you know, new to college baseball, new to college, like it changes your life. Like I've seen kids that I went to high school with and, you know, not to get too deep, get to college and get into drugs, alcohol, and just lose like guys that were straight edge and like normal dudes. And that those first six months of freedom, just break them. And, you know, being in the college game is you really have to care about the human being, I think is the biggest thing. And that was something that, you know, I always prided myself on is when these freshmen get away and, you know, it's very hard for them to get to the point where, you know, maybe they're willing to admit that they might need help or need guidance, but always being there for those kids that, that are in that scenario, because man, it's tough. You see a lot of kids that, that you expect to really make it and who are really independent just fall apart. And, you know, I always say like they could be 15 minutes away from home, but they feel like Mm -hmm. they're miles away. And just because they're on their own, they, they aren't being told when to eat. They're not being told when to clean their room. They're not being told when to work out. Like all these things like that, that are like, you don't need, you take for granted when you live 18 years with parents who are basically spoon feeding you everything. And then it's like, Hey, here's the real world. Get out there and go get it. So it's definitely, you see a lot. It's, it's, it's something it's, I think it's the most important part of coaching is taking care of the human being first. And and that's probably the time where kids need it the most is, is that transition. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. One more question. Are Are you ready for smash bros every night? In the Airbnb. What kind of question is that? You might as well not even ask it. I am prepared have you been very playing? well. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. I haven't been trouble. playing, but I'm going to take – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab the controller. I'm going to pick Ike per usual. And this is this is all your fault, by the way. I didn't – I've been playing Smash Bros. for years, right? I never played Ike until you started playing Ike and we're just like, oh, I'm going to mess around. Because Colin was trying to figure the game out. And I'm like, oh, I've been playing it for years. Like, during COVID, I'd play, like, three, four hours a day with people. Like, I was playing a ton. And I never thought, like, oh, I'm not using Ike. Colin's like, oh, can you teach me, like, how do we play this character? I want to do this and this and this. So I started just playing him all the time. And now, like, you're going to surpass me. I know you surpassed, like, Heiberger at the end of the year. Oh, well, But it's, it's going to be a grind. I'm excited to get back to it. You know, have a little competitive fire in the Airbnb. I can't wait for the Airbnb. For anybody listening, we're yeah. going to be roommates with another one of our teammates in Arizona, so we're pretty Yeah, do you know if Hogan plays at all or no? Did he play at all? I will get him. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll figure get him. it out. He's, he's, gonna ha- he's not going to have much of a choice. He's going to have to learn how to play Smash Bros. We'll bully him for yeah. a little bit, and then he'll yeah. figure it, it out. It's either that or we have to invite Bryce over or somebody. We need to get Weiss over so we can, so we can have some games. But... Did you guys did you guys see the video of Joe Burrow's press conference and they were asking him what he does in his free time like do you watch film and he's like no on the planes I play Super Smash Brothers. Yep. And then they were like what do you do like day of the game he's like I yeah. play Super Smash Brothers. Sorry, it's awesome. <laughs> he understands. We, we sat back on the bus, the sleeper bus, we put oh, the yeah. TV where there'd be like eight guys in the back like cuddled up like oh, screaming yeah. and yelling for six. <laughs> yeah, it was blast. awesome. It was just like for everybody listening, it's like this little horseshoe like of couches in the in the far back of this this sleeper bus. There's like eight bunks. Everybody else in there is trying to sleep. We got like 15 dudes out here, and we're just screaming, going nuts. Our, head, our, our pitching coach who's sitting in the front is walking back, like watching games, like, "Oh, this is sick." And, and it was. Yes, it was so awesome. Nothing has made a 13-hour bus ride go by faster than playing Super Smash Bros. Nope. 
Like, oh, gosh. Yeah. Yep. Didn't we buy a, an extension cord, like, on that trip? <laughs> yeah, I think we had to stop. We stopped at a Buckley's or something. We, like, ran in there. We're like, we need this cord now. Like, we're going to lose our minds if we don't play Super Smash Bros. for the next Yeah, seven. I remember. I think it was when we stopped. We stopped in Wichita Falls, Texas. We stopped. And we're all rushing in there like we gotta get this extension cord. We're six hours on this trip. We got seven to go. We can't we like we need something to do. <laughs> and then and then Simo just comes out with a whole That's watermelon. <laughs> While yeah, we're all worried funny. about Super Smash Bros. He's worried about his getting his watermelon cut up for the for the rest of the bus. But so many stories. Uh, yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, if we learned anything, it's that Joe Burrows has probably never played Super Smash Brothers on a bus. He probably yeah. plays on private jets now. But if he's ever willing to get after it in a Super Smash game, he's always welcome in the in the Oakland A's yeah. farm system to come join somebody uh, for a bus ride and play some Super yeah. Smash Brothers. Yeah, no. If you want to see competitive <laughs> fire, you watch one of those games. You got guys playing only oh, Kirby yeah. dropping out from the sky. Yeah, <laughs> just in, in trying to ruin the rest of the game for everybody else. Uh, like I'm gonna talk to like our kids one day, like, hey, we like this guy's in the big leagues, but hey, I used to beat his butt in Super Smash Bros. back yeah, in 2021. Back. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Well, I mean. A super awesome episode. I know there were times where I was sitting back just enjoying the conversation of what you were saying, Garrett. And obviously, I hope you know that you have from me, a fan, definitely. I know all of our listeners are going to be rooting for you this year. And, and hopefully, you know, when you make your debut, I, I hope you were one of the press conferences that you want to join. And, and we'll be talking about you facing big league hitters, hopefully, here in the next couple months. And and you're always welcome back on this podcast as any anytime as you want so um but super appreciative for the conversation we had and all the information that that you brought but you know we appreciate yeah you coming i appreciate on you guys for having me you know colin great to see you as always trevor it was great to meet you and you know thank you guys for great for, to meet you, know, you too giving me the time to be able to speak with you i appreciate it so of course, of course, you can abuse you can abuse that with us because okay. it was a great conversation, and I know Dan's going to have ten to fifteen questions that he wished Colin and I asked. So we might have to get you on quicker yeah, than we seriously. thought. So, but I'm, um, I've always got time. Yeah, for you guys. always make friends. So awesome. We appreciate that. That's that's phenomenal. So, but to our listeners, I do apologize. I do want to say we, Colin and I, both lagged out at some point in the last fifteen minutes of this episode. I don't know how that happened. I hope it still sounds smooth when I'm going to edit it. So, if the last fifteen minutes were a little out of line or a little choppy, I apologize for that. Um, but other than that, you know, make sure you're following all the all this on all the social platforms as well as on all platforms podcast platforms um make sure you're checking out garrett and colin this year we're following making sure they're pitching well and and following their trajectories but other than that make sure you're sharing with five friends to help grow this podcast any way you can but we'll see you guys on the next episode